Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be presenting you with our deep dive into audio. So Gail has a bunch of audio apps that she is going to give us a review and let us know the best places to find audiobooks. She's going to give us some pros and cons. We're going to talk about the best audiobooks we've listened to this year so far, maybe some of our favorite narrators, any audio pet peeves. We're really just going to get into all the things. So I know we have a bit of catch up to do. We missed a week. Schedules got hectic, so we weren't able to come together. So I'm curious to see what Gail has been reading in the interim. Yeah. So or have yeah. you been able to do reading? <laughs> I have been doing some reading, which has been good. And I apologize to our listeners. Um, Nicole and I both, for separate reasons, had a very, very hectic end of May, beginning of June. And we just had a really hard time finding time for us to record. So we apologize for taking some time off. It's not intentional, but we are back. This little stretch, the last like four or so books have all been repeat authors for me, highly anticipated repeat authors for me with varying levels of success. So you read the Tom Parada then? I read the Tom Parada. I can start with that one. I did was the most recent that I finished. Um, I liked it. I liked it. That's the, the ostensible sequel to election because it has the same character, Tracy Flick. The book is called Tracy Flick can't win. Um, I actually never read election. I saw the movie and I read a lot of other Tom Parada. So I felt fairly confident going into this that I would like it. Um, and it was pretty good. It's not, it, it doesn't focus as much on Tracy Flick as either the title would suggest, or as I think people would expect, given that the first one election did focus so much on her. Um, she's now like a middle-aged woman living in New Jersey. She's the assistant principal at a, at a public high school and the principal is retiring. And so she, um, is in line to get his job. But of course, that process is never smooth. So it's really like classic Tom Parada, you know, territory. It's suburban New Jersey, people living lives of quiet desperation, you know, bearing various crosses and like burdens and secrets and things. It was good. It's not like the most memorable book, but it's Tom Parada is very just sort of just dependable in his like observations and assessments about just, you know, suburban life. So I would say it was pretty good. I liked it. I'm glad I read it. Do you have any interest in reading election? I mean, maybe, but I saw the movie and I guess they were pretty similar. I would probably just watch the movie again. How do you know they were pretty similar? Have they said it stuck really closely to the book? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, whether it deviated or not. So I don't know. They can be very different. Yeah, they can. <laughs> Have you read all of Tom Parada's books? Not all of them, but I've read a fair amount. I've read The Leftovers, I think I read. It's the one that was turned into a series about people, like some percentage of the population one day all of a sudden disappeared. I don't know if you remember this, Nicole. I was with you. We were at um, Book Expo and Tom Parada was signing books. And his latest one at the time was The Leftovers, which has this dystopian element where, you know, 10% of people just spontaneously disappear. And I said to him, I'm not a big dystopian person, but if anybody can drag me into dystopia, it's going to be you. I said that to him. I definitely read and liked that one. Just looking up in my blog, what are some of the other Tom Parada's that I've read? I do remember that one, though. I remember that time. (laughs) Remember that? Saying that to him? Yes. I'm sure uh, I probably got a copy of the book because I was in line with you. I don't think I ever read The Leftovers, but I do want to watch the show. Yeah, it was disturbing. The Leftovers? Yeah. Okay. What are some of the other Tom Paradas? I'm looking, sorry, I've gone away from the mic because I'm looking at my... Oh, he wrote Little Children, which was also really good. Really good. That's, I think that's my favorite of his. And they made that into a movie with Kate Winslet, and I forgot who the guy was. I watched Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, yes. I did not love that as a book. How was it 
I was like it a, the, a movie I, or a series? It was a series. And I feel like they started recording that pre-pandemic. And I don't know if it was a ratings thing. I believe it was on HBO or... Yeah, I don't know if it was a ratings thing or it just got caught in just the mm. pandemic happening. And, you know, I think a lot of things that may have been planned just never got momentum again. Yeah, I really liked it. I would have liked to see the story continued. I thought it was handled like in a really thoughtful way. Um, I watched it with my mom and my aunt. So it provoked some discussion. So I'm mm-hmm. always interested in things, you know, like that. So, um, but I don't think I read the book. Maybe I'll read the book. Yeah, the book. I thought that was okay. I didn't. It, I didn't like it as much as I like Little Children. Um, I also read The Abstinence Teacher, which was good. Uh, you know, he likes to set a lot of books in sort of in and around school environments. There's a book called Joe College that I read, The Wishbones, which was about a band. It was like a bunch of middle aged guys in a band or something. Um, you know, I think so. Those are the ones that are on my shelf. Um, it's just he has like there's this sort of sweet spot for him of like again suburbia sort of middle age like people living lives that are not what they expected or hoped for he writes a lot about like kind of high school glory and then looking back on it many years later as lives have taken different turns yeah kind of like with tracy flick she gets well mm-hmm. was she elected in election <laughs> She, Did in election, she, she won the election, but there was a teacher who was very angry at her, played by Matthew Broderick in the movie, and he took two votes. It was like, the, it, she won by one vote, and he took two votes and put them in the trash. So he tampered with the election results, and she did not win. And then I think it got found out that he had done that, and I think in the end she did, but it was like a tainted victory. Right. It was not the victory she had hoped for. So you know, it kind of sets her off on this path of like, life is not going to be fair. And now <laughs> here she is, assistant here she is. vice principal. Assistant principal, right. So I, yeah, it's a good book. I mean, I, I liked it. Okay. So what else? Okay. What else? Um, I read Marrying the Ketchups by Jennifer Close, which I know you and I have talked about on the show. So this is her recent book about a family in Chicago who has a restaurant and like her other books. It's when I went back and read reviews, I had written about her earlier books, like the hopefuls or the smart one or girls in white dresses. And it's very similar in that there's not a lot of plot, not a lot happens. There's very, very good character development, lots of detail around these characters. Like you feel like you know them really well. She's so, she's like the queen of detailed interactions and you feel like you're, sitting right there and you can totally picture what is happening. You can totally see how these characters are and just envision them. Um, And so this book takes place right after the 2016 election. And um, there's a lot of anger and a lot of political anger in the book. And apparently she wrote the book and then the election happened. And then she went back in and added these scenes of anger and fury about what had (laughs) happened and I've read some complaints that it feels disjointed because it, those parts feel either unnecessary or tacked on or not organic to the story. I didn't agree with that. I thought that it felt fine. And I mean, I shared so much of that anger that I don't know how you write about November 2016 and not talk about that because it was such a huge like, cloud over everything, I think, at that time. And it was her book is very much set in a particular time. It's right when the Cubs finally won the World Series and this family were big Cubs fans. So I liked it. I it's again like for someone who wants a super plot driven, you know, can't put it down type of book. This is probably not the one. I this was actually my blow dry book for a couple of weeks. So I was only reading maybe 10 pages at a time, but that was fine. And you promoted it. Yeah. Then I promoted it at the end. It got to <laughs> Yeah, pole position. Okay, so there's that. I've read the new Linda Holmes called Flying Solo. This is the author of a book I loved called Ebby Drake Starts Over. And this one was a disappointment. Did not like it. It was kind of boring. It was about a woman who goes, she lives in Seattle. Her beloved great aunt dies. And she gets tasked with the job of cleaning out her great aunt's house in Maine. So she flies to Maine, which is where she grew up for, it's sort of an unstated amount of time. looks like it's about a month, six weeks or so. 
And while she's cleaning the house out, she comes across this duck decoy. And the duck decoy becomes a big part of the story because there's kind of this like mystery element. Like, what is the duck decoy? Why does she have it? Is it valuable? I won't even get into too much of this. I thought it was pretty boring. There was very little tension in the story. I loved Evie Drake because it was had this deep sadness to it, even though it was sort of a romance. You had these damaged characters, and it was all about like how are they going to overcome their own internal issues to try to figure out if they can like have a relationship and have a happy life. In this one, it was like there was so little tension, there was so little damage. It just, ugh, if I hadn't been doing that one on audio, I probably would have DNF'd it. I found it really disappointing. And I'm, it was sad because I was really looking forward to it. Right. Her other book that you had, was it more, did it have like more levity, more romance? Yes. The other one had more romance, but it had so much more heft. It just, like it was, what I loved about the other book was sort of the sadness of it. It wasn't the romance about it. The romance was great. I liked the romance. And also had baseball in it, which I liked because the one the guy in the other book was a pitcher. But in this one, there was there was a romance angle to it, but it was kind of I don't know. It felt it fell very flat. The whole thing fell flat. Okay. So yeah. All right. So a mixed bag for all mixed of you. bag. I read some reviews, and a lot of people wrote really positive reviews of Flying Solo. So I felt like I was like out there. I was like I am off the <laughs> reservation on this one. But I posted on Instagram and then a bunch of people posted underneath, it commented underneath and they were like, oh, I totally agree. Totally agree. And I was like, well, where are all the negative reviews? I don't see them, but I I have seen a few of them. So I get it. Yeah. That one. Sorry. That wasn't for me. And then the last one, I'm sorry, I've been talking so much, but the fourth one is I, and maybe we talked about this the last time we did the show, but I did read This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. I think you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that one a lot. It was good. It has kind of stuck with me. And that was not a disappointment. So those are four authors that I, you know, had been looking forward to and mostly were pretty successful. Cool. How about you? Oh my God, I haven't finished a book in <laughs> <laughs> this morning. I finally broke down and I revised my Goodreads estimate or goal for the year. So I put it to 36 books, which is just three books a month. I'm still four books behind. (laughs) You'll make it. (laughs) I'll probably make that. I would not have made, are you going for 70? I think I was going to go for 70. Um, It would have to be a fluke. I'm just, like you said, we had so much going on in May and June. And like, I just have so much other stuff going on that I am not having the opportunity to read. And sometimes if I do have a commute or if I'm in a car going somewhere, I don't even have the energy to read. So, but I am happy to report that for our next show, I will be ready for our book club. We can discuss the Jennifer Haig. Oh boy. You're going to probably have to go back and refresh your memory. I have about a hundred pages left. It certainly is timely. Actually, I was going to remember, I was going to mention this when you mentioned, was it, what were you talking about the political moments in which book? Oh, Marrying the Ketchups. Yeah. After the Trump victory. Right. So it's like we're sitting in a similar moment where there's just like so much outrage and a lot of it does, you know, relate back to decisions that were made in November of 2016. Like it's like all coming full circle in terms of these three justices having the majority and driving this decision that everyone is, you know, rightfully so losing their mind about a little bit. So we're sitting in this similar moment and I'm reading this book. So I have lots of thoughts about this book. Okay. There's so much that I really like. I mean, well, that's just a reminder for people. This is Mercy Street by Jennifer Haig. Yes, which we will discuss more deeply in our next conversation, in our next podcast. And yeah, so there's a lot of intricate detail about like the life who works at uh, at a women's health clinic and and the problems they run into, the people they meet. Um. So yeah, it's really fascinating. I'm reading it in the backdrop of a fascinating time. So I guess I won't, I won't say much more. I don't want to spoil. We'll, we'll have plenty to discuss. Okay. Cause it's made me want to do some research and I'm not sure how I feel about that since it's fiction. Um, mm. Okay. So, Hey, can I ask you a question? Something you just said reminded me of something. Sure. I saw somebody post that Goodreads is taking away the ability to leave a review. 
Oh, is it? Yes. They've done away with a whole bunch of features and that's one of them, which to me is insane. Oh, wow. It's like going straight to Google on that one. Is this something that someone in the know knows? Somebody posted it. A bunch of articles come up about Goodreads' problem with extortion scams and review bombing, why I'm deleting Goodreads, and maybe you should too. I really don't post reviews on Goodreads. It's I use it essentially to track what I'm reading or what I might want to read because, as someone says, in deleting the Goodreads, they're deleting their Goodreads reviews. They found that it encouraged them to be competitive and it was taking away from what they enjoyed about reading the books. Mm. But I wonder if it was, because I know at one point there was just a lot of this, just with reviews being posted. And I don't know, you run into this problem on Amazon too. Sometimes it's, people don't like the price of the book. So they give it no stars or one star or whatever. And then you get people who work at publishing companies, and I know that they do this, who are posting five-star reviews of books that have not come out yet. So there's a lot of manipulation going on. Manipulation and skewed. But I just, I don't know why you would, why is that more problematic on Goodreads than it is on Amazon? Yeah, I don't know. Um, And I'm doing a little research too, and I'm not seeing anything about it. And I feel like I would have seen more outcry on like Bookstagram about it. So I don't know, but she did cut and paste like an email that she'd gotten that said it in there. So it wasn't like it was just a rumor. I post all my reviews on Goodreads now and I just basically cut and paste from my blog. I usually trim it down a little bit and then I just stick it in there and I link back to my blog. So for me, it's just like another way to maybe build my community. But I do, I do check Goodreads reviews a lot before I read a book or while I'm reading the book. Um, and if they got rid of reviews, I would find that to be a big loss. I find Goodreads a lot better than Amazon in terms of the quality of the reviews. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to use discretion on, you know, if you see one star after one star after one star, what what is going on right. here? And it's like, I just hate this author because of whatever. Or, you know, this book was too expensive or, right. you know. Yeah, you've got to see if they've justified it. Right. And then there, and then there are people who just, you know are overly positive about everything. Part of that is getting to know Mm -hmm. which reviews you're reading and from whom. Um, I think a lot of times you can, you know, you can set who you want your top friends to be in in Goodreads, like to kind of weight more whose reviews you're seeing. Right. Well, I don't know why I'm not seeing more about it. Um, I don't know. It could have been like... If you go to Goodreads, here, I'm going to where... I don't even know what features have disappeared. I think there was something that I thought was annoying that probably is no longer here anymore. It says as of July. Okay. So if you go to Goodreads help, uh-huh. uh, as of June 15th, it says as of July 5th, Goodreads will no longer support the ability to create new content for the book reviews, recommendations, recommenders section, which to me sounds like getting rid of reviews. It says these features will no longer be available on the site on September 1st. We will no longer include the options of who recommended a book and who to recommend it to. We are simplifying how you stay updated on authors you, whose books you love. They'll be removing the favorite authors list. Uh, well, the favorite authors list I find helpful because it always sends you like an email of who has yeah. published books. Right. Who's got a new book coming out. It says a, If you've read one of their books and they have a new book coming out, it'll list it for you. It well, it says we encourage instead encourage you to follow your favorite authors. This will ensure you get updates on new books and news from the authors you're interested in. So I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Is just they're just changing how you. Uh, eh, but I don't want to follow. I don't want news, and I just want to know when they have a book coming out. That's yeah, changing it to be more author friendly, right? Or maybe they're charging them for the ability to push content out. But the thing about to improve the review creation page that on desktop sounds really confusing because I don't know if that's just certain people won't yeah. have access to post anymore. It, it doesn't seem clear to me that that's regular users. Well, this thing about it's very no coy. Longer, <laughs> will no longer support the ability to create new content for the book reviews, recommendations, recommenders section. Yeah, so because I think that that is like, people can say, so-and-so is recommending this, but I would get these blasts from everyone. Like sometimes publishers do it, independent authors do it. It's just like, hey, we're recommending that you read this book. 
Maybe that's what yeah. is going away. Yeah, so that's what it sounds like. To I can't review, imagine that review. I mean, what would the reviews would go away? I mean, then, then what's the site about? Then the whole, that's the whole point of the site. To improve the review creation page on desktop, we will no longer include the options of who recommended a book and who to recommend it to. Yeah. I don't Okay, so that. that's not so bad. Because I got all these blasts all the time from people. It's just like I would, you know, it's like anyone and their mother. If my friend just wrote a book, then I could blast it to. I don't know, however many people follow me on Goodreads and say, hey, you should read this book. Okay, so that seems a lot less alarming than what I thought. Okay, well, yeah, I'm glad I think that we investigate. To, right, not rumor mongering. Investigation. <laughs> All right, I feel a little better now. All right, so what are you reading now? Okay, so I'm finishing Mercy Street. I'm still reading Strangers on a Train by Patricia Highsmith. Okay, so I will just say, okay, so I revised down to 36 books. You know that I'm trying to read books. I'm trying to read books by authors I've read before. And I've been somewhat successful with that to the extent that I have been reading. Like I don't count audiobooks because I just don't read enough audiobooks to put that kind of restriction on myself. Um, and I have finished a couple of books that I started in 2001, in 2001, 2021. <laughs> so those books um, I haven't counted, but Mercy Street is a repeat author. I'm reading this book called Just Like Mother. And I've read um, one of Anne Hetzel's books before and Strangers on a Train. And I'm like really, you know, like I'm the last 150 to 100 pages of all three. So it'll be one of those, I'll read these and then I'll be caught up for my goal to read three books in July and be fine. Okay. So I think we're going to have to make our book club quarterly because I can't have a book a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one of them be, yeah. Be out of my control. Yeah. I and I'm just not me. reading that fast. So yeah. it's taking me, what, three months to read Mercy Street? I think I was saving it for this moment. I, it was a good timing on my part. Yeah, you get all fired up about it. <laughs> um, okay. All right, so... I have been watching, um, I have to watch the last episode of The Time Traveler's Wife. I've been watching the HBO adapt adaptation. I really, I like it. I really do like it. I don't know. I mean, the casting is great, I think. So it would be hard not to like Rose Leslie and what is the dude's name? Theo James, I think. So I have one episode to finish of that. And I also last night just binge watched the new adaptation of Jenny Han's book, it's on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. It was really good. The Summer I Turned Pretty. Huh, okay. So it had like the teen triangle romance going on, but it was also the adult, like uh, basically the plot is this, this girl, Belly, has spent every summer growing up, you know, every summer she goes to her mom's best friend's beach house in this place called Cousins, Cousins Beach, which is somewhere in New England. And... The summer she turns pretty is about the summer she goes, she's 15, she'll turn 16 over the summer. And of course, you know, everyone is looking at her in a different light. Like, you know, the braces are off. She has gotten taller. She's, you know, a young woman. And she has always had a crush on one of the, the boys that she's grown up with. So she feels like this is her summer. This is her opportunity to finally make something happen with him. Um, her mother is an author, so she has a new book out that isn't doing very well. So there's like a subplot there. And then the friend who has invited them over has a big secret that she has been keeping um, from her family. It seems like her friend is in on it, but there's definitely, you know, some strange things. Her husband isn't going to be coming home for July 4th celebration. He usually would. And but these families have just grown up together. So this summer, this, there's just like a bunch of things that are um, not, not as idyllic as they would have been. But it was, it was so good. I watched the whole thing yesterday, so now I have to wait for season two. Okay. How many Which, episodes are there? Seven. Okay. Ranging from like 45 minutes to 50 minutes. So um, two great adaptations based series based on books. I also went back and watched the Eric Bana time traveler's wife. Cause I couldn't resist. I was just like, what is going to happen to this guy? I had no memory of it. And, uh, mm. yeah. I think I remember what happened to him. You do. I think so. Okay. 
I think so, but I'm well, not even sure. Even though this book is probably like, how old is a time traveler's wife? Is it like 20 years old? Oh, easily. Yeah. I'm curious now. It can't be that old. If it did, I didn't read it when it first came out. It was 2013. Oh, 2013? Yeah. Really? Wait, no. Was, wait, hold on a minute. I mean, nope. when the movie came First out. published 2003. Yeah, almost okay. 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So why don't we get into the audiobooks? All right. Deep dive. I'm going to let Gail take the lead on this because, as you know, she is our audio queen. <laughs> um, she reads them more regularly. I'm kind of like hit or miss with them. Sometimes I will listen to a bunch and sometimes not at all. Um, so I will chime in where I can. But I do have a few favorite authors or favorite favorite narrators narrators yeah um all right well there's so much to cover with audiobooks there's the narration the performances there's the type of books you like to have on audio there's the way that you listen to audio i'll start with talking about just how just the mechanics of audiobooks so i have one two three four five six audiobook apps on my phone. I'm that sitting I here with pen and paper ready to be schooled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what is your preferred method? Like what, which app do you usually use? Um, I have had, I think I had an audible account for a while. It's like my oldest account and I use Libro FM. Um, my audible account is not active anymore, but of course I can still, I've still sure. But you know, like, I don't know how many, I probably have a couple hundred books there. Right. And then my Libro FM account was active most recently, but I had to put it on hold because I'm just not listening, reading. I just don't have the time anymore. So right. those are my two main. And I think at one point I had tried out Scribd. Okay. All right. Well, those three are three of my six. So because I'm a book blogger, podcaster, I do get a fair amount of review copies of books. So sometimes I'm listening to review copies and sometimes I'm listening to borrowed copies from the library. And then of course, there's always the ability to buy audiobooks. Oh, of course in the library. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with the ones that you can pay for. So those um, are Audible, Scribd and Libro. So Audible is owned by Amazon and it's the type of thing I think you can pay monthly and get a certain number of credits and, or you pay monthly and get one book. I, my audit, my audible I, is dormant. I'd never use it. So that's the one I know the least about, but um, it's probably the dominant player in audiobook apps. I think they, they do have like a nine ninety five, and you get one credit where you can read anything, but audible has like an, a huge library of books right. that are included in their plan. So it's kind of, at this point, it's morphed into sort of like a combination of Scribd. Right. Just in terms of like, there are always books. If you have a subscription, there's always books that you can read, no listen to no matter what. Listen to no matter what. Right. So Audible has, the advantages of Audible is a huge library. Disadvantages, you, it's not unlimited. Like you only get certain numbers of credits. And well, I'm not going to- anything gonna, unlimited? Scribd is unlimited. Well- Yeah, but they have restrictions. They do have restrictions. Which is um, why I ended up dropping them, I think. Yeah. Scribd has restrictions and Scribd also doesn't have a lot of books. Like they have a lot of books, but there's also a lot that are not on there. So sometimes with Scribd, I'll sort of cast around. And Scribd, for people who don't know, is spelled S-C-R-I-B-D. No E, just S-C-R-I-B-D. But it's it's decent. So like if you are willing to kind of, if, if you're not like necessarily have your heart set on a particular book, but there's a, you know, a long list of books you'd be happy to read, Scribd is pretty good. And you can also just download them. So like sometimes I'll come up with four books on Scribd I want, then I just download them and they're there. So it's not like, it's not like they dole them out over, you know, it's not like you can only do one at a time. Like you, I, I do think you eventually hit a limit, but I've never hit the limit. I think that they do have more rest restrictions on newer titles, like okay, so new maybe releases, how, right? How many of those you have out at a time, or I think that factors into your limit. There, I don't know. There was something restrictive about Scribd that, like you said, it makes it sometimes you really have to look for something that you right. want to listen to. 
Then I have OverDrive, which is how I listen to borrowed books from the library. So I have my OverDrive account linked to like four different library systems. There's That's one benefit of living in D.C. is you've got D.C., Maryland, and Virginia all right here. So What's I've got... Fourth? Or were you being, was that hyperbole? Uh, well, there's multiple Virginias. So there's oh, okay. Arlington and Alexandria. So at one point, I think during the pandemic, I just signed up for a whole bunch of other library cards. <laughs> the Virginia ones, sometimes they lapse. And like, you know, sometimes the library makes you actually come in physically to renew your library card. And I don't feel like driving to Alexandria to do it. So the ones I use the most are DC and Montgomery County, which is where I live right two blocks from DC and I'm in Montgomery County. So um, I use those accounts a lot and they're linked to my, um, my overdrive account. So when I borrow a book from the library, I can listen to it on overdrive. Um, there are often time limits, especially if it's a new release, like you can only have it for 21 days, sometimes 14 days, depends on the book, but it's great cause it's free and you've got access to a huge library, but of course they're limited by how many they can lend out at one time. Libro FM is the independent bookstore version of audiobooks. They have, um, you know, a huge selection, but I think it's pay as you go. So uh, I, I tend to use Libro FM almost entirely for review copies. If you're a book blogger or podcaster or book influencer, you can sign up for their influencer program and they send. I don't know, six or seven books every month and you get a, one credit and you can download that book for free, which I use a lot because it's usually something I can almost always find something I want to read. And then which sometimes Libro. Do you, are you in that program? I'm in that program, but you can, I thought it was, they usually send a list anywhere from six to nine books a month that you can download for free. Right. There's no limit on it, but you don't get any credits unless you sign up for the membership. Well, credit, I mean, you get a credit to download that book. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't, I thought it was only one. Okay, maybe no, I'm wrong. No, you can do as many as you want. can do any of want. their review. Okay. Yeah. And then some of the publishers work, when they work with bloggers or podcasters, they use Libro FM. So, like, they'll send out review copies, and the way that you, the mechanics by which you listen to it is through Libro. So they'll send you like a Libro code and then it, you download it on Libro FM. So um, I like using Libro because it supports independent bookstores. Uh, they have a good selection and it works well for the reviewing community. And then another one that is great for reviewers is the Penguin Random House Audio app. So it used to be called Volumes and they most recently updated it. It's now called PRH Audio, which stands for Penguin Random House Audio. So the Volumes app is going to go away in September, and they've morphed everybody over to the PRH Audio app. So it's kind of a bummer because I had a whole bunch of books saved in the um, Volumes app. In fact, I'm listening to one of them right now because it's I have it in Volumes and I don't have it in PRH Audio. And I have found with the new one, you're supposed to like email them if there's a book you want to listen to, and they're supposed to give you access to it. And that process has not really kicked in yet. So I have, I'm now on their mailing list. So now the new books that are coming out on PRH audio, I have like, I'm pre approved for the new ones, but this whole backlist of audiobooks that I had is going to go away in September. So it's kind of annoying. And I haven't noticed a huge improvement between volumes and PRH audio. And I'll get into that in a little bit about like features and what I think a good audiobook app should have. And I do think that they haven't, a lot of them are still missing in the PRH audio app, but they are a huge publisher of audiobooks. So to get on their list is a good thing. So um, that's helpful. And then the final one, and this is one that no one's ever heard of or used is, but I love this app is called Bound. And the reason I love Bound is that is the way that I listen to review copies that I get as a digital file. So for a very long time, I was getting, I forgot which publisher is it, Harper Audio. There's one of the publishers, I get all of them. You just download them. And then I was sitting there and I was like, I don't know how to, I would have all this trouble figuring out how to translate the downloaded file into a, some way that I could actually listen to it. And it wasn't until I discovered this app called Bound that I, I could use it. But now it's great. What I do is I've linked my Bound app with um, my, a drop, my Dropbox account. I just stick all those files in Dropbox. And then when I'm ready to listen to one of them, I just 
I connect the two, I download it um, from from Dropbox into Bound, and then I listen to it in Bound. So the, this is a lifesaver for people with review copies. So for you know, if you're not getting review copies on files, then you probably wouldn't want this app, but I love it. So those are the six that I use on a regular basis. And then I feel like oh, there's also Libby, which is owned by Overdrive. I don't really understand the difference between Libby and Overdrive, but Libby you can use to listen to audio, your library books as well. So many people use Libby to do audio from the library. It's basically the same company as as Overdrive. I think it's just maybe, maybe it's more user-friendly. So these all have pluses and minuses. And, you know, this whole audio for me, it's always complicated. Like, well, what book do I want to listen to? And who's the publisher? And can I get it at Scribd? And because with Scribd, Scribd is usually my first um, choice just because it, I'm already paying for it every month. And it's, it's like, I don't have to worry about an expiration date. And I like the interface. But so it's always a dance of like, what's available? What am I in the mood to read? Who has it? What format is it in? Can I get it? Is there a wait list? Do I have to request it? You know, these are like the multiple things I go through. But then once I get it, you know, there's certain ones that I think are better than others. So the things that I think of an audiobook app absolutely have to have. Um, first of all, I, this is a pet peeve, but I hate when I open an app that I've been listening to over the course of a few weeks and it doesn't go right back to the book. And this is a problem with the the Penguin Random House one. Oftentimes I have to navigate to the library, scroll down till I get to the book and then open the book. Thankfully it saves my place. So it's not like I have to, you know, start all over again, but it should remember what I was reading from the last time and just go right back to it. Cause otherwise it's just a waste of time and it's annoying. And then, yeah. Are there any that don't do that? Yeah. The Penguin Random House one doesn't. Oh yeah, that's right. And I just gave them, they asked for feedback and I <laughs> sent them like a bulleted <laughs> list. I was like, you're going to be sorry you asked me, but here are like six ways you can improve your app because they should be competitive with the other apps out there. If they want to, you know, if they want people to, to choose to go to the Penguin Random House site, then you shouldn't have to compromise. Um, I also don't like when an audiobook doesn't remember your speed from visit to visit. Like I listen to all my audiobooks at 1.2 or 1.25 speed. So it's sped up a little bit. And many times I will reopen the Penguin Random House app and it puts it right back at one. And when you're used to 1.25, one just sounds painfully slow and it also takes longer. So the audiobook should remember, I mean, even better, it should just allow you to save preferences. But at a minimum, it sh when you're listening to the same book, it should remember your speed and so you don't have to reset it. I really don't think they care about that app as much just because it's not a consumer app. Well, but I think maybe they want to make it into a consumer app. Uh, I mean, do. you can buy books through it. It's, I, I, you're probably right. It's a low priority. But if they want reviewers doing their audiobooks, like make it, make it competitive. I don't know. And I'm also like, if you just came out with a new version of it, why didn't you fix any of that stuff? Um. I also don't like when books don't have chapters. So like in an audiobook, it, it's sometimes I read I do tandem audio and print. And so like if I've read the print for an hour and I'm now a chapter ahead, I just want to skip to the beginning of that chapter. And some books treat it as one long file. So you can't you can't skip around like on a CD where you can go from track to track. If you can't just hop to the beginning of the next chapter, you spend a lot of time wasting, like trying to navigate to figure out where you were, or if you want to go back to something, just having it as one big, long amorphous file is kind of annoying. Um, what else? I much prefer when you can set the speed at a custom thing. Like some apps you can do one, 1.25, 1.5, and some apps, it's just a continuum. So you could do 1.17 if you wanted, or 1.32. And I'd like that a lot better. Well, mind blown. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. So let's see. What else can I say about these apps? Okay. So your favorite, your number one is Scribd or Libro. I think Libro. my number one is Scribd or Libro. I think that those are just the most... Audible is probably fine. I just try not to use Audible because it's Amazon and try not to support it. But... Scribd and Libro are generally the best and Bound I love because it lets me 
access my own content. I don't have to download it from a publisher. Um, so those would be my favorite. And then over, I think the Overdrive app is pretty good as well. Um, I think it has fewer bells and whistles as the other ones, but it's pretty solid. And uh, it's, it's a, I think the process of linking it to library accounts and sort of designated, oh yes, I'm ready for this book. I want to download it now and listen to it on Overdrive. Sometimes that can be a little clunky, but it, generally I can, I can get it done. So those are my, um, those are the apps that I use. And I'd love to hear from our listeners, like what, which are their favorites? Maybe there's ones out there I'm not using that I should be trying out. You know, what are the features that they like to, to have in their apps? Cause it's, you know, it becomes kind of a little bit of a way of life. Like when you're, if you're a heavy audiobook user, it's these things, these little things make a big difference. So that would be my, those would be my recommendations. What would you say is the best one in terms of search function? Like if you just want to see what's out there? Probably Libra. I mean, um, Scribd. Because Scribd has tons of other content that's not even just books. So I think that is good. Although the downside is Scribd, when you're dealing with Scribd and Overdrive, you're also dealing with digital content. Actually, I should mention that. You can use Scribd and Overdrive for um, eBooks. So if you like to use, um, if you like to read and you're not, you know, if you're not necessarily using a Kindle, I think those are good interfaces for that. Libro FM is just audiobooks. Libro, Libro FM, I find actually to be all around a really good site. It's really easy to use. It's nice too when the app gives you the opportunity to bookmark because sometimes you want to come back to something. I mean, it's harder on audio to bookmark things, but you can drop a little, a little tag at a place where you might want to remember just as you would do folding a dog ear a page or stick in a post-it or a bookmark or something with a print book. It's nice when you have that option with an audiobook. Can we talk about like pet peeves with audio performances? Sure. Okay. Multiple, uh, multiple narrators can be good or bad. It can be really helpful if you're changing around multiple perspectives, but sometimes it can be confusing because you're like, wait, who's talking? You know, if it's too many different voices and, or if the voices aren't distinct enough, then it can be hard. I also really, really hate sometimes when men, when male narrators Mm -hmm. do female voices and they do it in a falsetto (laughs) or when female narrators do men's voices and they make them sound really low and kind of sound like doofuses. That seems like it happens a lot. I'd almost rather they just used a normal voice and just, you know, didn't try to necessarily sound like the other gender. Right. But the falsetto thing makes me crazy and it happens all the time. Okay. So no falsettos (laughs) for any gender. No falsettos. Yeah. Those are, that's like a, a major pet peeve. I don't really have other global pet peeves because I think it's such a personal thing. It's so dis- it's so subjective and it's also so dependent on the performer. I I love books narrated by the author if the author knows how to perform a book, but sometimes that can backfire terribly because some authors are just not good performers. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not their skill set. And so sometimes when the author reads their own book, it just, if they can't read, if they're not good at performing, it just, it, it can be very detrimental to the reading experience, the listening experience. I'm glad to hear you come around to that because I know before you love books usually narrated by the author. And I know some oh. people feel like that gives them, I just don't think that that necessarily makes them the person to read the book just because they wrote it or they know it because yeah, sometimes they're just not the one. Yeah, don't have a good voice because um, you really do have to command someone's attention for a long time. Yeah, for an audiobook. Yeah, and sometimes it's just not good. I can think of a few. I mean, I don't want to like name any names, but I can just think of books that I read that were narrated by the author that it was just like this is not good. This author cannot perform. There's so many amazing narrators out there too. But on the other side, I love memoirs that are written, that are performed by the author. One of my favorite ones this year was the Jennifer Grey memoir. And it certainly helps that she's an actress um, and knows how to perform. But her, that was the, her narration was wonderful. And I loved that it was so personal. Uh, and I just, I loved, you know, listening to her talk about it. And especially when they get to something that's traumatic or that was very emotional time for them. 
um, I was reading, somebody was interviewing her about it. And I, I, there was something I hadn't thought about that sometimes authors of memoirs don't want to read their, their books. They don't want to perform them themselves. And it's because I hadn't really thought about this before that the experience of reading it just is, is traumatizing again, that sometimes it's just really hard on them. Yeah. And having somebody else. Oh, I think it was, Oh, I know where I read that. Um, I heard it. I was listening to Sarah's bookshelves interview of Julia Whalen. I have a, I have mixed feelings about Julia Whalen, but she was talking about narrating um, educated because she was, did the narration of educated. And I think one of the reasons that Tara Westover didn't do her own performance, it might actually have been timing or logistics or something, but she did mention that it is re-traumatizing for the person who wrote the book to also then have to speak the words. So that, you know, sometimes I think it's understandable why somebody might not want to read their own book. But in general, I think like, I remember the John Taylor memoir, music memoirs, Phil Collins, Bruce Springsteen, just hearing their own voices say them. It just, it's kind of, there's something kind of magical about it. So I really love it. Are you a Julia Whalen narrator fan or have you not read it, listened to enough by her to have a strong opinion? I don't think I have a strong, I don't think I've listened to her. If you don't mind sharing, what's your strong opinion for Julia Whalen? She's like a beloved narrator. She did Malibu Rising. She did Educated. She did um, some the Kristen Hanna books, which I've never read any of the Kristen Hanna books. She's, I find that her delivery is an angry delivery. There's something about her tone that feels very stern and angry. And that worked beautifully in Educated because it's a very angry book. You know, somebody had a very traumatizing life, very difficult upbringing, and she has every right to be angry. And that came through. Um, She narrated the one I just read, the Linda Holmes book. And maybe I would have liked that book better because her narration conveyed a seriousness that the book didn't uh, merit. And so there was a mismatch in the tone of the audio and the content of the book. And, you know, maybe I would have, maybe I would have enjoyed the book more if she hadn't narrated. It just seemed like a bad, a bad fit. Um, Malibu rising. Like I didn't love Malibu rising and maybe part of it is the narration. Like Malibu rising felt kind of silly to me and this big party and this family. And it could also be that because it was narrated by Julia Whalen and it conveys this gravitas, this kind of like, like, tragedy that didn't also didn't fit with Malibu rising. So I think I'm, I'm, I might take a little break from her. Like I, I'm sad to say that cause she really is, I think she's very skilled and I, people love her narration and if people, if you ever read like a survey, like who's your favorite audiobook narrator, they'll say Julia Whalen. But I think I'm just gonna, I think I'm going to avoid her for a little while. See, this is the really interesting thing to me with audiobooks, and that I feel like this is why I cannot commit to them um, I can't really commit to audiobooks with any real consistency. I have to read, when I listen to an audiobook, it has to be something that really is not going to leave much room for interpretation. Like, mm. I feel like literary fiction with different characters, how you read them, I think part of reading is just so personal. And once you let a narrator in, they are coloring mm-hmm. how you listen to the book, how you experience the book. So that's why I feel like I have enjoyed nonfiction and I stick with like mystery, something that there's really usually no interpretation in, you know, like the characters are not as fleshed out. Maybe it's more about the plot or, you know, maybe they're books that are relying on characters, I guess I'll say not, not stereotypical, but more archetypal, you know, like Mm -hmm. the silent detective, the whatever, whatever, something that if I'm listening to it, that I can listen to it in a pretty straightforward way. And then I know that the delivery probably is not coloring the material very much. Mm, That's so interesting. With other things like that, I just, yeah, I don't want to, because I think that there is a conversation that happens between who's reading the book and the material that, yeah, you, I think you have your ideas and your thoughts, but once you put it in the hands of someone else, I mean, then you've got how the narrator is interpreting this. You've got yeah. how she's delivering the character saying that, which, you know, maybe in their voice, it sounds bored or it sounds angry. Maybe you would have read it as sad or something else. 
That's a great point. Maybe that's why I've been gravitating more towards memoir. Um, I don't read a lot, as you know, I don't read a lot of nonfiction. So for me, I think if I did nonfiction on audio, I, my mind would wander more. But memoir is definitely uh, an exception to that. Right. I would trust the authors, especially if it's narrated by the author, then I trust that interpretation as opposed to worrying that I'm leaving it to chance or to someone else's interpretation. If I'm going to listen to an audiobook, sometimes I'm going to veer on the side of something that is just straight performance where you have eight different narrators. It's like listening to a play and I'm just going to enjoy it in in that way. Like when they have a full cast narration where everyone, um, then it's just like, okay, so it's almost... Look, I'm not one of these people who does not think that audiobooks are reading. I do think right. that you're experiencing right, right, right. Yeah. the written word or whatever. <laughs> I think we've I think we don't even need to get into that argument because you and I both think it's so silly. But yeah, but there is a there's a different layer in there and you just have to be aware of, you know, people's interpretation, you know, um, especially when you're dealing with actors, experienced audiobook narrators or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they generally have not had much time with the material, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just like a quick read or whatever, but they are making, you know, they're making their own judgment decisions that are influencing the story in, in ways, you know, that is according to what's going on with them as opposed to what's going on with you. Right. What was the one that you and I loved the, um, Justman Ward? Oh, um, it wasn't Savage. It was no, it wasn't um, Savage Bones. It was um, just blanking on the title for some reason. Now I'm trying to look on my shelf. It was the one about the woman sing unburied sing. Yes, and that was a wonderful audiobook. But it kind of fits into what you're saying. It had three different narrators. It was like an ensemble performance. That was a wonderful audiobook. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and so sometimes that's the question that I have. And I, and I know it. there's some things that I listen to that I listen to on purpose. Like there are stories that I'm attracted to and I look at the writing and it's just like, oh, I would hate reading this. But listening to it is a completely different and, and enjoyable experience. And I'll say, look, I don't know if I would have liked this book if I had read it because it was too light. It was too this. It was too that. But to have that in your ears and to just kind of listen to a lighter story it, it'll work for me in audiobook in a way that I might not have the patience for. I might think it's too simple if I read it. Right. So yeah, and it, it just, it really all depends. Like there's just so many facets that's up to, you know, each individual listener and reader in, in kind of navigating how they like it and what they want. Yeah. I do best with thrillers, I think on audio. Um, there's another book that we both read that I think I'd listened to that was, um, that was a thriller. I can't think of it right now. Okay. So who are some of your favorite narrators? You're giving Julia Whalen a bit of a rest. Yeah. Well, I will always go back to Therese Plummer. She's one of my all time favorite narrators. Um, did we meet her one year? Yes. She came on our show once we did a whole show with her. Therese was actually in a horrible car accident about a year ago. Um, She was hit by a drunk driver in New Jersey, and she has been recovering from that accident ever since. Um, But I know she has done some narrating, and I think as she gets stronger and stronger, she will hopefully go back to it full time because she's just a fantastic narrator. And it was amazing when she there was a GoFundMe for Therese after the accident, and there were so many people who... I was just sort of like reading through the people who had, you know, were leaving her comments on her page and just people like, I've never met you, but your books are, your performances have moved me so much. And people were donating to her. Like, it's just a testament to how much of a connection she creates with her audience. So I don't know if she listens to the show or not, but if she does, Therese, um, so happy that you are doing better. Um, she's had a lot of surgeries, but she's really, she's come a tremendous um, way since the accident, but she is really one of my favorites. She narrated some Jennifer Haig novels that um, I read earlier. Like I think she did Faith. She's just the master of kind of sprawling family dramas. Good, you know, deep, juicy family relationship books. Uh, so she's one of my all-time favorites. 
Another narrator that I really like is Marin Ireland. Uh, she just did The Golden Couple on audio. And it was funny because after I finished that, I read another one by her. I'm going to have to look up which one that was. And sometimes I find if I read too many or listen to too many by the same author. Yeah, she did This Time Tomorrow, which is a pretty different tone of book from The Golden Couple, very different book. And sometimes if I read, if I listen to the same narrator too close together, it, it's confusing. It feels like whiplash because the, if the books are really different, then you almost go in expecting one book when you're getting a different book because you've got the same voice in your ear. Right. It just blends together. Yeah. Or it just feels weird. So um, I like her a lot as a narrator. I just want to spread her out. And then Rebecca Lohman is another one that I've listened to a fair amount. I think she does a nice, very good, like precise. She did uh, the girls for Corona Del Mar, which I did on audio and I really liked. She did the ensemble American housewife by Helen Ellis. She did landslide by Susan Conley. So she seems to be kind of in that literary fiction corner. Um, So she's, I like her a lot as well. So I will say Therese Plummer and Julia Whalen narrated a book that I listened to, Emma in the Night by Wendy Walker. Mm. That was just really funny because we're, you know, just had this detailed conversation about the both of them and the fact right. that they um, narrated this book. It looks like Therese has narrated a couple of Wendy Walker books. She also does a lot of, of like romance books, I think. Like, I think she's hooked in with a series, maybe. Like, it seems like she has done a whole bunch of very similar genre books. Yeah, and I think the way that they cast audiobooks is changing. Like, now I think there's probably more who get a chance to, you know, make choices about who they feel would be the best voice for people who are going to be reading their books. Yeah. Dylan Baker, who's an actor, does a lot of audiobook narrations. I like his narration. How do you feel about stunt casting. So casting actors who are not people who've made a name for themselves in audiobook narration, but have like when Tom Hanks did, I didn't do, he did the Dutch house. I didn't listen to it on audio, but like, so sometimes people who have, I have think names. anything it's hit or miss because Tessa Thompson was just in that movie, um, passing, which is based on a novella that I really liked. I tried to listen to it. It was, it's t- I think she's like a terrible narrator. (laughs) Got it. She was really, it was just really boring listening to her. Um, So it's just, it's just kind of like one of those things. Are you suited for the book? Is your voice suited for the book? I mean, I think at minimum, like I look at the way I view audiobooks is either one of two ways. It's either I'm all in for the cast experience. And then, you know, you want the voices that go along with, you know, the characters and, and they kind of fit. And then I am the other part of me gravitates to books where it's story time. You know what I mean? And so I feel like with books where I'm just listening to them because they're being read to me, the bar is different just because, it's almost like you just can't not mess it up in a sense. You know, like if you're reading someone a story, you want there to be certain emphasis someplace. You don't want their, to, their voice to be so soothing that it just like puts you to sleep automatically or right. makes you think about different things or whatever. Um, so I think in that, in that respect, it just really depends on the actor. You know, is this someone like, what kind of material is it? Are they dynamic enough to listen to? Like, are they someone who usually plays sleepy characters and they're, you know, so maybe that's not well suited to a book. I mean, Tom Hanks is such a masterful actor and he's played so many different parts that I can't imagine that he would give a terrible performance. Um, I'm trying to think because there was a book, I think Daisy Jones and the Six was narrated by actors. Um, Mm. I want to say, I can see her face. I want to say Jennifer Beals. Oh, um, I think you're right. Did that one. And it was really good. I mean, Daisy Jones and the Six, like that is one of those books that I'm thinking, you know, if I read this, would I even? But um, Daisy Jones and the Six was all stunt casting. It's Jennifer Beals, Benjamin Bratt, Judy Greer, and Pablo Schreiber. Oh, interesting. And it, and it was fantastic. 
but yes, another one of those things where I feel like I am, you know, I was just along for the ride listening to this movie, you know, listening to the series or whatever. Um, I liked The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and I read that, but there's something about Taylor Jenkins Reid, her premises always just kind of like, I don't know if I would like this. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Okay, I'm going to raise one last thing. And I know we're headed towards the end of our show here. And this is like, this could be an entire episode, but I just want to issue spot it. And I'm not sure where I come out on it. How do you feel about, or do you have an opinion about when the race of the person narrating is different from the race of the character? And like, for example, we Tracy talked Flick. about this. I thought we talked about this with a guest too. I feel like someone was on our show and we talked about this because I don't think if you're, if you're reading me a story, I don't think that race, like, I don't care who you are. <laughs> right. Well, the reason I raised it has a specific thing. So the narrator of Tracy Flick can't lose is Lucy Liu. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but did she just read the whole book? No, she only read the Tracy Flick character. Uh-huh. Right. I know when we talked about this, we talked about it with that book that I read that was about a white kid who went to an all black high school. And it was all about how he felt being an outsider in his own school. And then the narrator was black. So it was confusing because. And we that talked was a, about that again. Yes. And so with someone. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's right. And I don't remember who it was um, because we didn't never talk to the author of that book. That book was green. And I forgot the name of the author. Um, Oh, green by Sam Graham Felson. But I just thought the the Lucy Liu casting was interesting because she's famous. Um, She wasn't even, she wasn't a particularly great narrator. I didn't think for the role. And First of all, when you have Tracy Flick in mind, you have Reese Witherspoon. Just That's just who comes to mind because she made the character famous. But then to choose Lucy Liu, who's Asian and also famous, it just was a, it was a strange combination. I guess I just I just I just do not think about race in that way with something that is auditory mm-hmm. as opposed to visual like she's lending her voice as part of a performance. So. Uh, yeah, I don't even care about that or think about that or find that strange. Just like with the Sam Felson book, if he's reading the story and he is black and it's about a white character, then he's he's reading the story. Like, I don't know, the Princess Bride, old dude is reading the story to True. the young guy. So I just don't, it's just always fascinating to me when that is like, when it's not a visual thing that that's something you zero in on. Yeah. If it's not, especially, I mean, with Lucy Liu, it's a character, but it's also a female voice. So I wouldn't find so much of an issue there. And it would be different if I think in green, if like, if the black actor were only voicing the character of white protagonist, as opposed to he is reading the entire story. So yes, I think it's an interesting I think you're right that sometimes it doesn't make any difference, but that sometimes it can, it can be a complicated choice of casting. Well, yeah. And it just depends how, how are you getting into this story? And are you thinking I'm listening to a black person, but the story's about a white person. Like if that's something that's kind of popping for you, then I can see how that would be distracting. But if it's, yeah, like I'm saying, if it's not for a particular character, I'm just kind of like, well, I can't see any of them anyway. Right. What does it matter? Because then we get into all of this thing, like whose voice sounds like what? You sound white, you sound black. You know, like, right. what does that even mean? Right. All right. Well, that was, I had a lot of opinions. Sorry. No, <laughs> that's, that's great. Your opinions help us figure out what we think about audiobooks. And you've given us food for thought, where to look. And hopefully you all can better judge like when you're listening to books, like what's important to you, what's distracting for you in listening to these stories, because it is, you know, it's reading, but it's definitely a different experience. So it just depends on a whole host of things. (laughs) If you can speed it up, (laughs) if you would like that book in, in audio or not, you know, like that's always a question that I ask myself with audio. Would I like this better if I had read it, you know, and sometimes you can tell, 
Like sometimes I can tell right away, like, mm, I don't think I'm going to like this as an audiobook, And it could be just the fact that that particular book, I need to hold it in my hands and turn the pages and have that more intimate experience. Or, you know, is it just because it's not the thing I can listen to? Or, you know, like you said, you can't really focus on nonfiction. So there's so many different nuances and just kind of exploring what particular formula works for you with audiobooks. So we hope we have given you a little direction and food for thought when figuring those questions out for yourself. So next time we'll talk about, among other things, we will talk about um, Mercy Street by Jennifer Haig. And until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. 